We are continuing in our series this morning on the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And this morning, I want to talk to you for a few moments about the supernatural life of Jesus. Amen? The supernatural life of Jesus. So as we're making our way through this series on the life of Jesus, we're taking a look at excerpts from his time on earth and how those times apply to us. Amen. How he served as an example when he walked on earth for us and how we should walk. So far, we've looked at the loving life of Jesus, how he loved and how Paul said in Ephesians 5 that he loves extravagantly and he urged us to love like that. We looked at the incorruptible life of Jesus and we saw how we can live incorruptible lives. It's possible. Just because something isn't happening doesn't mean it's not possible to happen. Come on, somebody. We can live incorruptible lives. We can. We looked at the peaceful life of Jesus and how Jesus brought peace everywhere that he went. And then last week, we looked at the natural life of Jesus, showing how Jesus was a man just like you and I. And I want to continue uh, on that vein and talk about not the natural life of Jesus, but the supernatural life of Jesus. Amen? And we know that the Lord Jesus, when he walked the earth, he did not live a life of obscurity. Come on. Uh, as much as he told people, now go and don't tell anyone what just happened, they just couldn't hold it. They just couldn't hold it. Come on, I was healed. I saw him raise the dead. I saw him do so many things. I, I, I know what you told me, Lord, but I, but I can't hold it. And uh, in fact, even today, according to multiple polls and internet searches and books written and purchased, Jesus is without a doubt the most famous and influential person in the history of the world. But then, who cares about internet searches and books and polls? God doesn't need an internet search to confirm who he is. Come on. He just is who he is, whether you believe it or not. The thing I love about God is he doesn't need a poll to tell him that he's the God of the universe. Come on. But the life that Jesus lived was no secret. Even to non-Christians and unchurched people, they've heard of Jesus. His life and exploits are well documented. His stories are regurgitated time and time again. They're told regularly. His fame, his fame is a fire that will never go out. Come on, somebody. This is Jesus. No matter if you like him, believe in him or not, he's around. You can't get rid of Christianity. No matter how hard the government tries, <laughs> it's not going to happen. God is God. And then we know that Jesus, for a time, gave up his place in glory, his, his residence in heaven. And he came to earth to be like us. But Jesus also lived like us. He lived a, a natural life, as we talked about last week. But he also lived a supernatural life. Like us. Come on, he was like us. He didn't live a supernatural life as God, as a deity. He lived a supernatural life as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on now. And while on earth, he was constantly in touch 
touch with his father. He lived in obedience to his father's will. He never did anything outside of the father's will. He never did anything he didn't see his father do. Come on. How was he able to live both a natural life and a supernatural life? Well, he lived a spirit-controlled life. Come on. Thus, the supernatural life that he lived, he lived in complete obedience to God. So what are we talking about when we say Jesus lived a supernatural life? Well, here's my definition of supernatural. Come on. Uh, a supernatural life is perhaps, uh, uh, you know, maybe it, 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 it goes beyond or exceeds the, the power or the laws of nature. It means literally the miraculous or relating to an order of existence beyond the visible realm, the visible, observable universe. That's what supernatural means. In other words, if it can be explained away by science, then it's not supernatural. It's just natural. Nothing wrong with being natural. But God is supernatural. Come on now. And the supernatural life is perhaps best understood by his very first miracle or sign. Turn over to John chapter 2 if you have your Bible or if you have your device. And uh, we just want to look, first of all, I have a lot of scriptures to go through, but don't worry, I'm going to go through them all. Uh, we first want to look at just the very first sign that we know of that Jesus did. Very familiar passage of scripture here in John chapter 2. You will, you will recognize this, this, this verse, this passage of scripture. But the Bible says in John chapter 2, I'm reading from the New King James Version, on the third day, the third day of this wedding feast. The third day, uh, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, you know the story, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servant, she didn't, she didn't acknowledge what Jesus said. That's her son. Mother, mother turned to the servants and says, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six, there were, there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews. That means these were water pots that they used to wash their hands for purification. This wasn't drinking water, okay? Containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. They filled them up to the brim all the way up. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. They don't know what they're drinking then. You have kept the good wine until now. This is the beginning of of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, his disciples believed in him. His disciples, they saw a sign and they believed in him. Okay, let's go back to that definition real quick of supernatural. 
Now we've seen something that Jesus has done, being beyond or exceeding the power or the laws of nature. I don't understand. He, he didn't put something in the wine and in the water and mix it up to make it wine. He simply said, fill it up, now draw out. And all of a sudden it was wine. Now to me, that goes beyond the power or laws of nature. That to me is the miraculous. That, that, that speaks to an existence beyond the visible, observable universe. And I love it because many of us, including me, I'm in church and people talk about Jesus turned water into wine and they talk about how he walked on water and how he raised the dead and how he did all of these things. And I'm ready to amen. That's Jesus. That's my God. That's, that's the Lord Jesus. Nobody like him. Come on now. He's the lion of Judah. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the great peacemaker. Come on. That's Jesus. That's my God. I'm, I'm amen in that. But then I go over to 1 Peter chapter 2 and it says, he was an example for you. Well, yeah, amen, amen, amen. Uh, amen. Now, what do you mean? Um, amen, but I'm just explain a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> he's an example for us. Come on. I, I took some excerpts. I'm going to try to just go through this. Jesus did so many supernatural things. The, 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 I, I put them into categories. These are my own categories, okay? I'm not changing the Word of God. I just took some excerpts, and, and I'm, I'm putting these into different categories of what Jesus did. And what I want you to do as we just go through some of these very quickly this morning, I want you to, yes, think of it in context of Jesus walked the earth, filled with the Holy Spirit. He had perfect blood. But I want you to, as we go through this, relate this to you as Jesus is an example to you because you are a person who is walking the earth filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we can get you filled this morning. It's, it's not a, it's not a, it's, it's no problem. <laughs> not a trick. I'm not demeaning it. I'm not, but I'm just saying God has no problem with filling you with the Spirit. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, just ask. That's all he said. He just ask. Come on. We are people walking the earth who believe in Jesus filled with the Spirit. So now insert yourself into this thing as we go through this. The first category I call supernatural science. I, I use this one first because science, they really try to, science doesn't really debunk God, as it were. But what science does do is they try to explain God away. I've seen so many things. Well, you know, when Jesus walked on water, there was probably a layer of ice right below the... I've seen that. Really? Really? <laughs> because the Bible says a storm rose and the waves were contrary. So what happened to the ice? I don't know. But, but science just tries to explain everything away. But just as we just read in John chapter 2, first of all, he changed water into wine. That's a miracle. That supersedes science. Come on. That's number one. The, the, another thing he did was Jesus stilled the storm. He, he got up and said, peace, be still. And the storm obeyed him. How do we know that? How do we know the storm wasn't just dying down anyway? The reason why we know that is because the disciples said, whoa, 
the wind and the sea obey him. There must be a reason they said that. Otherwise, they would have said, oh, it was calming down anyway. They didn't say it was. They were fearing for their lives if you read the story. They said, whoa, the wind and the sea obey this man. What is going on? And then another way that he superseded science was he caused the fig tree to wither from the root. And the Bible says, come on now, he came back the next day, it was withered from the root in one day. I don't know what kind of canker worms or, you know, moles, Brother Eldon, you know, I don't know what kind of things could do that to a tree in a day, in 24 hours. In fact, it was less than 24 hours. They were walking to Jerusalem, they, came, they were coming back the next morning. And the tree that he spoke to withered from the root. Now don't forget, how sweet, amen, and Jesus, you are awesome. Come on now. You're filled with the same spirit. He didn't do this as a deity, folks. He didn't do it as a deity. He did it as a man filled with the spirit. I mean, science is an amazing, wonderful undertaking. I don't down, down, down science because I actually love science. I do. I just believe God created science. <laughs> All right. Science teaches us about life, the world. It teaches us about the universe. But listen, science has not revealed why the universe came into existence. It can't. Nor what preceded the universe's birth before what they call the Big Bang. What happened before that? Can't explain it. Biological evolution has not brought us uh, the matter on this planet of how advanced cells and highly structured build, building blocks of advanced life forms ever emerged. How, how simple organisms uh, became conscious. Science can't tell us that. What allows humans to understand the mysteries of biology, physics, mathematics, engineering, architecture, medicine, I could go on and on. What enables us to create great works of art and music and literature. Science is nowhere near to explaining these deep-seated mysteries of life. All science can say is it's there. There must be an explanation. Oh, we know what it is. You just can't understand it. You see through a glass darkly just like we do, science. You see through a glass darkly, but then we shall see face to face. And I believe unbelievers will see face to face as well. It's just where you're going after you see face to face is the difference. Amen. Come on. We're all going to see. But supersedes supernatural science. He supersedes that. Think of that in, in relation to you and your walk. Come on. The second category I have, I call, I call it supernatural exorcisms. Supernatural exorcisms. This is simply Jesus casting out spirits. Come on. He cast out an unclean spirit in Mark chapter 1. Now, I, I will say that some of these, uh, I put these in these categories, but often things get overlapped because a lot of times it'll say Jesus healed somebody and he actually cast out a spirit that was demonizing them. So some of these get overlapped. But it's just amazing how many things Jesus did. And this is just in the three years. This isn't his whole life. We know that, right? It was just the three years or however long it was of his ministry that he did all of these things. He cured two uh, people that were filled with demons, demoniacs, I call them, <laughs> filled with demons, cast them out over in Matthew chapter 8. 
The Bible says over in Matthew chapter 12 that he cured a demon-possessed man. And Jesus even cured a boy who was plagued by a demon in Matthew chapter 17. Supernatural exorcism. If it happens once, you might say, well, that was just a coincidence. I mean, the demon was tired and he wanted to go on to someone else. So that was just that was just by chance. You know, you said something, the demon was leaving anyway. But I mean, time after time. And then what I don't have here is how very often the demons spoke back. We know who you are. Cast us into the pigs. Come on. They were afraid of Jesus. Oh, that's something you ought to high five somebody about. Come on now. But really what you ought to high five somebody about is the fact that you got the same Holy Spirit that cast out demons. Come on. You know, the, the, I substitute teach sometimes and I hear all these phrases, you know, from Gen Z and, and things that we, you know, you guys wouldn't get. I, I don't think I, you know, I wouldn't get them, you know, but uh, they had this phrase called you're going to catch these hands. Now, we used to, you know, all that meant was when we was little, that was my grandma say, I'm going to knock you in the next Tuesday. That, that's what she said. Today, they say you're going to catch these hands, you know. And so, you know, I got, I, got to, I, I got to think, and I said, you know what? They call this Palm Sunday. I know the reason because of the palm, but to me, they call it Palm Sunday because the devil about to catch these hands. Come on, somebody. Come on. We ain't afraid of demons. We're not afraid of demons. Jesus, he exercised them. Exercise yourself to Cleveland someplace. No, don't go to Cleveland. Some people like Cleveland, but we, he exercised them out. Come on. And then don't forget about Acts 19.15. Here, here's, here's, here's what we run into sometimes. I've heard people talk about, well, again, that was Jesus. You're not Jesus. You don't, you know, the demons, they were afraid of Jesus. They're not afraid of you. But wait a minute. When I read Acts 19, 15, remember the seven uh, sons of Sceva, some of you may know, you know, that story where they were trying. And then all of a sudden they said, well, let's, let's do what they're doing. Let's use this name of Jesus. You know, they didn't, they didn't necessarily believe in Jesus. They were just going to try to use the name. And they, and they told the demon that was, that was uh, uh, possessing uh, the man, they said, listen, in the name of this Jesus that Paul preaches about. See, there's the mistake. In the name of this Jesus that Paul preaches about, come out. And the demons, it's almost like they start to come out. Then they say, hold on a second. Jesus, I know. But they didn't just say, they said, Paul, I know. So it wasn't just Jesus. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. In other words, I would come out if it was Paul talking. But who are you? Who are you? And so people, you know, they look at it and say, well, we can't cast out demons because they were just afraid of Jesus. No, 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 no. Paul, <laughs> I, I believe Paul was a man just like you and I filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Casting out demons is not what you see in the movies. Uh, please, I don't want to offend you, but it's not some Catholic priest with some holy water and with a cross that they don't have any faith in anyway. Come on. Uh, trying to chant some different things. All right, it's some demon that's uh, spitting up pea soup. Young people don't get that one, but some of us older people remember these movies. Come on, uh, right? Uh, but casting out demons, you know what? It's simply using the name of Jesus because you know him. 
I know Jesus, and therefore I have every right to. That's why when I prayed, I thank you, Lord, for giving us the name of Jesus. I believe in that name. I've confessed with my mouth the Lord Jesus. I believe it in my heart. Therefore, I can use it. There, there is no name on earth by which men will be saved. And when I say men, I mean humans. Mankind shall be saved. Come on. Every knee shall bow. Every knee. Every knee, every demonic knee shall bow at the name of Jesus. Now you think about Jesus doing supernatural exorcisms. It sounds like, and that's why I put that word there, exorcism, because it just sounds weird and, you know, but it wasn't weird. Jesus just said, come out. Come out. It's not that weird. It's not that spooky. Come out. <laughs> come out. In the name of Jesus, come out. It's that simple. You don't have to go in the back room and start with incense and all these kind of different. No, you have the word of God and you have the name of Jesus. Come on. I know we're talking spiritual, but I already told you, Jesus had led a natural life as well. He left us a way to walk supernaturally. When we, it's, it's, when we hear the word supernatural, it, all of a sudden it, seems, it just seems spooky like there's smoke and clouds and all of these things. And yes, I, I, God can be all of that because he's in heaven, which is in the spiritual realm. But for us, come on, it's just a matter of being filled with the Holy Spirit and saying, come out in the name of Jesus with faith. Next category I had was I call I call it supernatural multiplications. Supernatural multiplications. Now this is not just, you know, Dietrich, you bring in a couple of loaves of bread. Brother James, you bring a couple of loaves of bread. Brother Steve, you bring a couple. And y'all got six. Now I'm going to come and bring two. We multiply. Okay. No, no, no. This is not natural multiplication. That was addition. But it's not natural multiplication. Okay. I would have to bring six, I guess, to multiply by two. But anyway. Yeah, I, taught, I teach eighth grade math. So, you know. Easy, easy. So it, it's not natural multiplication. I'm talking about one loaf of bread there, and now there's 27 all of a sudden, and nobody brought any. Come on. Supernatural multiplication. Jesus, Jesus, there was a great haul of fishes in Luke chapter 5. This is where Jesus pushed out and began to teach the people, okay? One thing I noticed about this in Luke chapter 5 when I was reading this passage is that this was not a need-based miracle. This is when Jesus pushed out from the shore on this boat and he began to teach the people. They were all listening. And then all of a sudden, in the middle or toward the end of his teaching, he turned to Peter, the disciples, and said, now, cast your net over the side. And that's, that's the time when Peter said, well, Lord, you know, <laughs> we've been here all night. Now, I, I realize, Rabbi, that you've done some great things, but I'm a fisherman. Okay, I know fishes. Okay, we've been here all night. There's no fish over here. But nevertheless, at your word, at your word, I'm going to do it. And you know what happened. It was, they, they couldn't even contain it. They needed more boats and all of that. It wasn't need-based. It doesn't say there that people were hungry and they, they had to have fish. He just did that. It was a sign. It was a miracle. You don't believe that Jesus doesn't do non-need-based miracles? Of course he does. He loves you. God loves to show off, in case you didn't know that about him. God loves to show off. Come on. He raised, what else did he do? He, Jesus fed at least 5,000 people. We know that in Matthew 14. We know that story. All right. Side note to that story, it wasn't until uh, the disciples began to give the, read it again. Right. You know, they, they, get, they, they brought the, the, the loaves and the fish to Jesus. 
All right. He blessed it, but he gave it back to them. I'm not reading all these passages because we'd be here all day, even though you probably don't mind. But I get a little hungry after a while. But uh, and, you know, that's actually biblical, too, because this listen, it is in this particular passage. What is it? Matthew 14. Jesus was teaching and teaching. And then all of a sudden he began to feel sorry for the people. He said because they hungry. They hungry. Come on now. Yeah, it's true. It's biblical. All right, it's biblical. So, he, so you know, and, and Jesus here in this Matthew chapter 14, he blessed it. And the Bible says he gave it, the basket, he gave it back to them. So he blessed it, gave them back the same thing they gave him. Read it for yourself. Then they began to give it out. And when they gave it out, it multiplied. They, gave, they took it to Jesus to be blessed. But until they believed, they took action. Do you know faith is action? Faith isn't just sitting back saying, I think it'll work. Let me see if it works. Somebody, is it going to work? No, it's you taking action. And when you take action, it begins to multiply. So this is a supernatural multiplication. And then over in the next chapter, Jesus then fed 4,000. And it was obviously more. They counted the men, right? So it was more than 4,000. And then all of a sudden, uh, after Jesus was raised from the dead, there was a second haul of fishes over in John chapter 21. Listen, this supernatural multiplication, supernatural multiplication is not just something that's like a side note to Christianity. I'm going to show you this. I want to remind you of this. You might think, oh, multiplication, that... That's good. I mean, if, it ne if that never happens, you know, that's okay. I'm just, I'm trying to just make it. I'm trying to make it, you know, to heaven. And if I can do that, I'm all right. But do you know from the very beginning in Genesis 1:28, God told humans to be fruitful and multiply? Multiplication is part of God's DNA. And I, he said, multiply. It's not an add-on to Christianity. It's part of our foundation. Now, yes, of course, I know this first statement by God in context was speaking of reproducing. But you'll see later, you see by the, the passages we just read, that God's multiplication is not limited to human reproduction. God, multiplication is part of God's DNA. Therefore, it should be part of our DNA. Should be part of our DNA, supernatural multiplications. Couple more. I call this one supernatural comebacks. Supernatural comebacks. Yeah, this is Jesus raising people from the dead. It's a supernatural comeback. Come on. Jesus raised the widow's son from the dead in Luke chapter 7. Dead. When I say dead, I mean the son was dead. I just read something uh, about Reinhard Bunke. Some of you may have heard of Reinhard Bunke, great evangelist. He does a lot of work, obviously, in Africa. And he was talking about how uh, one time uh, this woman brought her husband. He had been dead three days. But instead of taking him to uh, the mortuary, she brought him to the meeting and took him downstairs. Reinhard Bunke didn't even see the man. He was preaching with power and faith. And the man, <gasps> after three days of being dead, undeniable. You don't hear about that in the news. We don't hear about that. We hear about every other thing. We don't hear about that in the news. I, he, Jesus raised the ruler's daughter from dead. We all know the famous, he, he raised Lazarus, his good friend from the dead. How long was Lazarus dead? Four days. Come on, somebody. And Jesus himself rose from the dead. Amen. Luke chapter 24. 
Now, I know what I'm about to say is not exegetical in nature. That means line by line, precept upon precept in nature. Uh, but I just feel this is the Holy Spirit just right now that we're talking about supernatural comebacks. I feel like there's someone or someone's even in here today where there's some things that are dead in your life. And God said, I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. The thing that you think is dead and gone, it's over to you. I don't know if it's a vision. I don't know if it's a relationship. I don't know. I just feel this from the Lord saying that there's going to be a supernatural comeback in your life. He's bringing it back. He's going to wake it up. God has the ability to do that. See, for us, it's like maybe there's just a little ember there. Okay, if there's a little spark, then it can come back. There's a way. But I'm talking about this is a situation where you don't see any way. I mean, it's dead and gone. Whatever it is, it's dead and gone. But if you believe God, he's about to, he's about to blow life. Can these bones live? He's about to blow life into something that's going on in your life. I don't know who that's for. And the last one I had this category, supernatural healing. Boy, if I went through all of the times that Jesus healed someone, we'd be right on here, right on up till Easter. We just, every day we'd. If I went through all of these, so let me just go through them quickly. These are, these are instances in the Bible, and I'm doing this for a reason. Jesus cured the nobleman's son, John chapter 4, cured his son. Jesus cured Peter's mother-in-law, cured her, come on, of a fever, Mark uh, chapter 1. Remember, he healed a leper in Mark chapter 1 also. You might remember he healed the centurion's servant. He just sent his word. You remember that? Come on. Uh, Jesus cured the paralytic in Matthew. Jesus cured a woman from the issue of blood. That was 12 years that she had it. That's when she touched the hem of his garment, right? Remember that one? Luke chapter 8. Jesus opened the eyes of two blind men. Son of David! Hey, will you leave him alone? This man's got stuff to do. Wait a minute, I heard somebody. This is the scene. And Jesus went over. Son of David, please don't pass me by. Well, I won't. You're healed. Jesus loosened the tongue of a man who couldn't speak. In Matthew, Jesus healed an invalid man at the pool called Bethesda long before uh, Peter and John did it. Come on. Jesus restored a withered hand. He made it whole. Jesus healed a woman of Canaan. He cured a deaf and mute man. He opened the eyes of another blind man. Then he opened the eyes of a man who was born blind. That's the one where they said, what's wrong with this man? Who, who sinned? His mother? Or they said, they said, did he sin or did his mother? How are you going to say he's born blind? I would, but anyway, all right, you had to think about that one. Jesus cured a woman who had been afflicted 18 years. This was a woman, she was bent over like this, if you read the Bible, and she couldn't move. She just, she was so stiff. Stand up! Okay, this is the one, this is the one, woman, thou art loosed from thy infirmity. You might recognize that. That's where that is. Woman, thou art loosed. That's what Jesus did. Now remember, by the way, think of this in context of yourself. Don't forget that. I'm not letting you forget it. I'm not letting you forget it. Come on. Jesus cured a man of dropsy. <laughs> dropsy is just like, yeah, when you're, uh, you're swollen, you, your, your tissues retain water. You might have seen that in people. Big ankles, big feet, big, you know, whatever it is. Some of us big head. I don't know if I had a dropsy or, but it, he cured the man who had dropsy. Jesus also cleansed 10 lepers. Remember the one came back. You remember some of these? All right. Jesus opened the eyes of two blind men. This is a lot of them now. Come on. He opened the eyes of two blind men. And finally, he restored the ear of the high priest's servant. Undeserving. Undeserving of being healed. 
And Jesus still healed him. If Jesus healed a man who's undeserving of healing, what will he do for you? Who believes in him? Who has faith in the Son of God? What will he do? And I know that's we don't have time to get into it today. I, I will preach another message just specifically on healing because I know a lot of us, including me, we have questions with healing and, and why does God do this and why do people, and I get all that. We're going to keep preaching on it. Listen, God doesn't give up on us and we're not going to give up on that. We're not, it's obviously not God's will that you stay sick because Jesus 19 times, this is in addition to all the other miracles that he did. Jesus didn't just have a healing ministry, but 19 times he healed people in three years. So you can't tell me that healing is not the will of God. By his stripes you were healed. Now just because we fall short sometimes, and I'm in the, listen, I'm, mirror, come on. Uh, we're all in this together. Just because we fall short sometimes doesn't mean there's not something there to be revealed. There's something there to be revealed. And we must keep seeking. What is your will, Lord? What is your will? Jesus was an example for us. All right. How do we know that Jesus was an example? We kind of talked about this last week, that Jesus lived a natural life. But, but look at this. Jesus had his own will. Did you know that? When he was on earth, he had a will which he denied. Luke twenty two forty two 42 says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will. So he had a will, just like you. I'm related to yourself. He had a will. Jesus grew and developed spiritually when he was on earth. This is the separation. This is the difference than the, the, the line of Judah that's sitting at the right hand of the Father. All right? And people will say, well, wait a minute. Those men, when, when Jesus w was there and ascending, they, they said this same Jesus is going to come back. So doesn't that mean Jesus that walked the earth? No, it does not. That was the resurrected Jesus. That was the resurrected Jesus ascending. That same Jesus is coming back. Not the one that walked the earth. Okay? The one that walked the earth is an example for us. He developed in Luke 2.52. It says Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor. He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor. He increased in... Think about that. He didn't come with all of it when he was on earth. When he was on earth, he increased. Then it says Jesus came and took the form of a man. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, in Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, became obedient, Amen. became obedient. There is hope for you and me, saints. Jesus became obedient. And then finally, Jesus made himself like his brothers. Hebrew 2, 17 says, Therefore in all things he had been made like his brothers, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus had to be just like you and me. Everything he did when he walked on earth, he did just like you and me can do. He did as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, I'm going to leave you with this. John chapter 14, I'm going to read this from the Living Bible, verses 12 and 13. The Bible says this, Jesus said, in solemn truth, I tell you, listen to this now. Anyone believing in me shall do the same miracles I have done. I'm reading this out of the Living Bible. You may recognize this. 
and even greater ones. Mm -hmm. Because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask him for anything using my name. This is Jesus talking. There must be something we're missing. Not him. You can ask him for anything using my name. I will do it. For this will bring praise to the Father because of what I, the Son, will do for you. Perhaps some of us are not interested in bringing praise to the Father. We're interested in bringing praise to ourselves. But when you bring praise to the Father... Come on. Now, let me just do one more thing. Let me just do one more thing. I know we're over, but listen. In this, in this uh, passage in the King James, New King James, and many versions of the Bible, it says you'll do greater works. That has been a point of contention as well with Christians. In other words, how can you do greater works? I mean, if somebody's dead, you know, Jesus raised Lazarus, he was dead. But this person over here is like, the dead, the dead, dead, dead. So that's a greater work. No, if somebody's dead, they're dead. How is it a greater work? Well, I've heard so many people preach on this and talk about how greater relates directly to more or many. And that is part of it, but that's not all of it, saints. It's not all of it. And I can prove it to you. It, it, it does mean many. It does. Absolutely. It means Jesus was one man. He was confined to Palestine in that area around there. He could only do so much as a man. Now, we are all filled with that Holy Spirit. We are many. We can do this all over the world. Greater works. Come on. But this word greater comes from a Greek word, megas. I want to show you this, megas, M-E-G-A-S. And here's what it means. It means large, surprise. This is the word. Listen, Jesus didn't say you'll do greater works. He used the word megas. So instead of defining the English word greater, why don't we define the Greek word that he actually used? When he said it, he said megas, it means large, surprising, loud, big, and to a great degree. So to a great degree is where you have more and many. That's, that's the emphasis. But here's the thing, the more and many is just, this is why I brought up that Reinhardt Bunky story. Because there's so many things that happen that should be surprising, loud, and big, but the world wants to tamp us down. He, they want to tamp us down. So it's not that the work is better than Jesus' work, but because they're happening everywhere. Come on, church. Because Christians are everywhere, this should be loud and big and large. It's happening all over the world. People are being healed. People are being saved. They're being, people are being resurrected. All of these things are happening. People are being fed. Come on, all of this stuff is happening. That's what this word megas means. And so we have to think about that. We, let's stop trying to explain away all the time what Jesus says and just take him at his word. He said what he said. That's what Jesus is saying this morning. I said what I said. No, stop trying to explain it away. I said greater. That means loud. That means people are going to know. If I be lifted up, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. That's the point, to get everybody into the kingdom. Lift Jesus up. So not only is Jesus saying that we'll do more, but he, you know, he was only one man, but it's that it should surprise people. You know, it, it, it should be things that, can, that can't be easily explained away. It, sh it should be a surprise. And that's where we are, church. That's where we are. We've got to stop settling for where we are. We've got to stop taking a back seat. Now, I'm going to say this now. I'm not trying to be controversial, but we got to stop taking a back seat to the government. we got to stop taking a back seat to society. And I'm not telling you to go out and rebel against the government and storm the Capitol or whatever, you know. I, listen, whatever. I'm not even talking about, I'm not even talking politics. I'm talking about the Bible and the Holy Spirit in you. If my people who are called by my name, we can't back down. I'm not going to 
how much I'm not going to I'm not going to shy away from preaching against LGBTQ. Now, I know if somebody don't want to come back, I get it. I, I will always love you. I'll never deny you of anything. I'm never going to uh, talk about you bad or embarrass you. I'm not going to do any of that. You're my brother. I would I would go to lunch. I would have a conversation. I would buy you coffee, all of that. Don't put that on me that, I, that I'm, I'm discriminating against you. All I'm saying is just like if somebody who's a habitual liar, I will say, listen, God wants you to be better. I'll say that about homosexuality. I'll say that about fornication. I'll say it about whatever. It's all the same. Because Jesus loves you. He loves you. Some Christians may not even want to hear Jesus loves homosexuals. Yes, he does. He loves you. He loves me. Come on. And I haven't done everything right. He loves us. He just wants us. He has a standard. Jesus knows. There's this, I'm, I've said this the past few weeks, but I'll just say this. Listen, Jesus has this way. We got to pursue Jesus. We have to pursue him. Listen, because Jesus had and he has this way of having compassion and empathy on everyone, no matter what sin, no matter how far you are or how disgusting other people might think you're lying or your sin. He, he has compassion and empathy, yet he has the standard to bring you up to, to bring you out of it as well. He has the perfect thing. And we, we must, and many of us, I know I'm not there yet. Many of us are, we're, so, we're such extremists. You know, because, and it's, I'm not faulting anyone, we're human. So we have to learn how to be spiritual. We got the natural down. We got to learn how to be spiritual. Jesus had the way, a way of doing that, to, of not pushing people away, yet bringing them up to where he is, not coming down to them, not coming down to them. And that's where we have to be, church. We have to live supernatural lives. And the only way we could do it is pursue God, pursue God unashamedly, we have to read his word as often as we can. We need to have an active prayer life. And listen, this is important. We have to learn how to speak his word in every situation. Uh, it could be a whole nother sermon. I know I said I was finished three times, but listen, uh, just, this is important. This is important. We got to stop sabotaging our own self and others. We got to, I know it's a whole nother message, but with our words, when you don't speak the word of God, Michael, when you don't speak the word of God, when something easy, well, we're here in church. Woo yeah, I'll praise the Lord. And then all of a sudden tomorrow happens on my foot. Oh, it's just thing has always been hurting. It's always going to hurt. I'm just using that as an example. I'm not, I'm not talking bad about you if you do it, because I've done the same thing. I got to, I got to, come on. We sabotage ourselves. We have to pursue a spiritual life. It's not a spooky life. It's a natural life. It's just a supernatural life. We must pursue this thing, church. We have the answer. The world's dying, and we have the answer. And if we don't pursue the supernatural life, the government's not going to do it. Come on, society is not going to do it. Science is not going to do it. Science doesn't, they're just discovery anyway. That's all they do is discover what God already did. Okay? It's up to us to do it. So I want us to dedicate ourselves today to pursue that supernatural life. Come on.